Hey, happy Tuesday, Mona. Hi, Charlie. You know, we were just having a, a conversation and you said, don't leave it in the locker room. We should share it. Back when I was doing a radio show, I actually always used to say this. In, fa- in fact, there was another host and we would fine one another a dollar if we started debating an issue off the air. <laughs> it was like, no, we should be doing this on the air. We shouldn't right. be doing this here in the office or the green room or anything. So, yeah, exactly. Because we talk in private just the way we talk on our secret podcast. So we should just invite people in. See, this is a, this is an important thing for people to understand that that when we are having private conversations, it is exactly the same as what you hear us saying. That what exactly. you hear us saying on the podcast is not any different than um, if we're just chatting. So I was talking about student loans, and I'm, I know a lot of our audience doesn't like the fact that I'm saying, hey, it's bad politics, it's bad policy, doesn't fix the problem uh, yep. at all. In fact, it'll make things worse. Um, but, you know, I, I, I did a debate relatively recently with a kind of a Bernie bro uh, figure on, on one of the cable channels, and I was struck again by sort of the disconnect between, you know, there are some folks who don't think in terms of policy implications as much as I want this and I want everything and I'm just going to, so whatever you say about, well, shouldn't we be forgiving medical debt before student debt? Then the answer is, well, we should do that too. And we should do this too. It should be, well, how about everything? Everything all at once, because there's there's an infinite amount of money. Well, that's the thing. I mean, in a world of infinite resources, uh, yeah, we would absolutely want to do everything. Although, eh, you know, you do then get into questions about universal basic income and whether people would have a sense of meaning in their lives if all of their needs were automatically taken care of. But anyway, leaving that aside. But in a world of infinite resources, of course you'd do it. You'd do everything. I mean, you know, I, I want to get more support for families and, uh, and for women who have crisis pregnancies and for all kinds of things. And there are a million wonderful things that could be done with more money, more money. But unfortunately the world we live in is not one of unlimited resources. And so you have to make decisions. You have to make choices and I think, Charlie, what you were trying to say to this gal <laughs> is that, um, you know, hey, take it from me. I used to be on the right. I know exactly what Republicans are going to make of this issue. They are going to they are going to jam it down your throats at election time. And it's going to make you look so out of touch, so elitist. I mean, the fact is most people don't go to college at all. Uh, most voters um, are never going to be in a position. And so you have to say to a voter who is having trouble paying off his truck, uh, you know, or or her nurse's license or whatever else it is. Or their medical bills. Money on their medical bills. Thank you. Um, you don't get relief. You don't get your loan forgiven. But these people who are going to be in a position to make more money than you throughout their lives because they went to college, they're going to get the benefit. I mean, that is obviously unjust. Okay. And, uh, and, and I mean, a lot of people on the left don't realize how it's going to play it's gonna be politically. It's, it's terrible. And so I'm, let's, let's put this in two buckets, the po- politics and policy. I'll get to the policy in a minute. The politics are toxic because you have millions of voters who don't have student loans. By the way, when we say loan forgiveness, the loan is not wiped away. The loan is not forgiven. It's just transferred to the 220 million adult Americans who do not have student loans. And so 
Don't be surprised if it's unpopular with people who don't have the loans, who never went to college, who paid off their student loans, who use savings and work to pay the cost of their own college educations, or who chose community college, uh, which is much cheaper, um, and it doesn't do anything for future student borrowers. So that's the politics uh, of of all of this. The, the policy is, and and I, I I have written about this in the past. I think I think the cost of higher education is is a scandal. I wrote a book, you know, Fail yep. You, The False Promise of Higher Education that documented the incredibly obscene escalation of tuition costs and, and, and how, you know, too many students are saddled with debt for degrees that are not going to pay off for them. So this is a real problem. But a one-time debt jubilee doesn't solve the problem. It will probably make it worse. It will make it worse because it might be a signal that there's more free money out there and colleges will once again exploit the situation by raising tuition. Other students, future borrowers might think, hey, you forgave that loan. Maybe you'll forgive this one and therefore go deeper into debt than they otherwise would have, which is known as moral hazard. And so because they expect to have uh, they expect to have another forgiveness and nothing about a, a loan forgiveness changes the underlying fundamental problem of the higher education bubble, which is this, about the spending and the costs and the bureaucracy and our attitudes towards higher education. Larry Summers, who is a Democrat, I know he ticks a lot of the progressives off because he warns about inflation. You know, he also said, you know, shouldn't these resources be better used to helping those who did not, for whatever reason, have a chance to attend college? Uh, every dollar also, every dollar spent on student loan relief is a dollar that could have gone to support those who don't get the opportunity to go to college or to make college more accessible. None of that's happening. And so this is one of those sort of looks good, massive wealth transfers that doesn't actually solve the underlying problem, which desperately needs to be solved, desperately needs reform. But that's my point. Uh, It's a good point, Charlie, and I hope people are open to it, uh, to to considering it. Look, I've heard this argument like year in and year out for my entire adult life. College is too expensive. We have to make college more affordable. And so politicians say we're going to make college more affordable and they throw money at it. And then the colleges say thank you, which are businesses, by the way, the colleges, universities, big business. They pocket it, say thank you very much, and they raise their rates. And, you know, it's a scam. Over and over and over 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 again. Yeah. So, So, um, no, okay. So let's do something different today. Okay. Because I, I think the people who listen know that you and I fundamentally agree on almost everything. True. That th- there are others that the, the bulwark kids often will disagree, but but you and I, we 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 we're generally on the same wavelength. Fair enough, yep. right? Most of the time, we're not always on the same wavelength with the kids, but but you and True. I. True. True. So this will be a little different. Yes. Because I believe that you are, were eloquently, fundamentally, <laughs> wrong <laughs> on this whole question of should we let. Donald Trump off the hook because it would be too incendiary to charge him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you made yeah, a well, really, really good case in, in your wrongness. 
So speaking of incendiary, your very framing of the matter is incendiary. Let him off the hook. I did, you know, that that already is prejudicial, Your Honor. Okay, so um, surely by my, accident, I assure you. <laughs> so what I am arguing, and I am going to talk uh, write further about this today, is that um, the the problem. So so it. It, it, it involves framing this the right way. What is the principal threat from Trump? Is it that he is a lawbreaker who gets away with it and sets a terrible precedent for future leaders? Um, that that he has been able to weasel out of every single situation he's gotten himself into, including plotting an insurrection and trying to steal an election. Yes, is that the problem? Or yes. is the main problem that that guy might be president again? And I submit that it is the second problem that has to take precedence over the first problem. Okay. So as long as that's the main threat, all of our efforts have to be bent toward make, doing anything possible to make it less likely that that guy ever holds power again, because arguably that's the end of this country. If he is reelected, God, I mean, you know, pretty much it's over. And I hate I, to say I, that because no, 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 I, I agree. I, I think your conclusion is absolutely right. The premises are flawed, Not, but that's, <laughs> uh, so but imagine can, but a trial, Charlie. Okay, imagine a trial. Um, I'm doing that right just now. Just look. At what happened after the Mar-a-Lago raid with the insanity of the entire Republican Party, a party which, by the way, as recently as just a few weeks ago in a New York Times Siena poll, half of Republicans said they were ready to move on from Trump. Okay, And then the Mar-a-Lago raid happened, which I'm not saying was the wrong thing to do, but I'm just pointing out that the entire party snapped back to being a Trump party in a nanosecond. Nobody even had to tell them. They all just knew what to do. They all fell in line, DeSantis and Kevin McCarthy and all of them. And suddenly it was Trump's party again. It was Trump at the center of attention, just where he likes to be. And it was playing to his superpower, which is, what's his superpower? Attention. Shame. Mm -hmm. attention, making himself the center of attention and making everything about him. That's his superpower. It's one that both left and right contribute to encouraging, right? Um, because frankly, well, some of it for, you know, decent reasons, some of it for really bad reasons. Okay. The people on the right do it because it's remunerative. Uh, the people on the left do it because he grinds their gears and they can't, they can't stand it. And I, I agree with the people on the left. I can't stand it either. But he is a genius at being the center of attention and at chaos and at promoting division and, and playing upon the right's sense of grievance and victimization at the hands of the left. And he will play that to the nth degree if there is a trial. There, this whole country would just become completely obsessed with it to a degree that we haven't been um, about any other Trump thing, believe it or not. And, and even if he were convicted, Charlie, as you wrote in your True. newsletter, mm -hmm. 
even if he were indicted and convicted, it doesn't mean he would be less likely to be elected. In fact, by the Republicans, he'd be more likely because now he'd be, be the champion. Yeah. To be nominated and possibly even elected. All of these points are correct, but here's the problem. I would say that this makes the case more strongly for us to keep our eye on the horizon, not be distracted by the ephemera of last week's polls, not to give in to our fear, because I do think that there is something fundamentally at stake. And yes, there are a number of of real fundamental dangers. I mean, the fundamental danger of Donald Trump getting away with things, Donald Trump returning to the president presidency. But I want to put this on the table as well. You know, one of the things that's been exposed has been the flaw in our constitutional order, which has, we now realize, uh, does not have the kind of guardrails and protections that we might have imagined, that much of it is, in fact, based on a code of honor. And so this is our moment now to make a statement about the nature of power and responsibility in in the American system, including whether or not the president of the United States is above the law. Now, you argue in your piece, you know, like it or not, and you're right, like it or not, a significant constituency will have its faith in the rule of law further eroded by a Trump trial with consequences we cannot tolerate. The Trump minions are openly discussing civil war. And so, though it means surrendering to intimidation, the wiser course is to refrain. I'm going to turn that around that surrendering to intimidation, appeasing, accepting the idea that the president is above the law is, in fact, the greatest danger. That is the most dangerous thing we can do because we're looking at what's happening now saying, well, this is the worst that could happen. It can't get any worse than, you know, if we had a trial and people were really upset. Well, don't be so sure. Don't be so sure that we're not headed towards something like that as well. Don't be sure that we wouldn't have the revenge tour and the civil war and the outrage, you know, on top of essentially giving Donald Trump a get out of jail free pass. So I do think it's not just the principle, it's the reality that at some point, because people on the right have lost their minds and no longer support the rule of law, that means the rest of us need to double down and to reinforce the rule of law rather than take it for granted okay, and, and, so, to, and to take this position, because I do think there's a longer term, uh, an even longer term danger. Okay. Yeah. So let's take your premise, which is that this, because he represents a threat to the rule of law, this is the moment when we have to reinforce its centrality. And we reinforce its centrality by showing that no one is above the law and that we will hold him accountable. Legally, we will try him and convict him and send him to jail if necessary. By the way, what would the Secret Service agents do in jail? But anyway, that's an interesting question. But um, but here's the thing, Charlie. I don't think that's possible. I don't think that that result, I don't think that prosecuting him would lead to the um, the the uh, ratification of the rule of law, the cementing of it in our society, I think it would only further erode it because half the country would believe that this was a po- purely political act by the Democratic Party to go after the guy who uh, who they hated. And nothing will persuade them that this was a... Um, uh, that this that this was the fulfillment of the rule of law. Instead, it will be seen as its as its undermining. And um, 
and so you know, yeah, they are they are completely wrong. They are completely they, wrong. Then, then they should not be given a veto power. They should well, not be given a veto power over those of us who believe that so, the president, so, if a president breaks the law, he should be held accountable. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let 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 me also try to say it this way, a different different tack. Um, there are there are crazes and fevers and 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 hysterias that sweep through populations, and they usually pass. Um, so, you know, we had a crack epidemic in this country and we thought it was the worst thing in the world. It was really, really bad and it caused a lot of suffering, but in the end it, it crested and then it abated. Um, we had a, we had a scare that you, I know you remember, I certainly do in the 1980s about, or was it maybe in the early nineties about, uh, about satanic practices at at childcare centers. And suddenly, so many people started believing in this, and and uh, a lot of people were hurt. But eventually, it crested; it went away. Um, we had the McCarthyite, to bring it into politics. We had the McCarthyite era when there was so much hysteria about you know a red under every bed, and a lot of people suffered. But it crested and subsided. And you know the 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 Trumpian um, hysteria is now at full flood. Um, but given an opportunity, it will subside unless mm-hmm. bring it to a head in a way that forces people's hands and then they 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 choose sides and they saddle up and you know I, then- I, I I regret to inform you that they have already choose sides and are saddling up. I think you're making my argument for me. I actually think that I agree with you. I think that there are these hysterias and these fevers. And I don't think that, see, I I think that there is a longer term issue here, again, whether we have a constitutional order, whether there is a rule of law. And I don't think that's an abstract thing anymore. I I think that that the fact that we have this, this mass hysteria should not be a veto power over people who understand what, and, and by the way, all of this is predicated on whether or not there is solid evidence that he broke the law and that the, ju- the Justice Department can bring charges that, in fact, will hold up under scrutiny, under appeal in front of, of a jury. So that, that that's that's the assumption. But, you know, p- part of it is so should this temporary hysteria uh, mean that we should appease it, that we should be fearful about doing what is right and upholding the Constitution? And should this temporary hysteria make us fearful uh, I mean, so fearful that we establish a precedent that will be enduring. And that precedent will be that presidents who have violent, insane followers cannot be held accountable because that's okay. what it is. This is the ideology of appeasement. Now, I understand that Damon Linker and you are sort of there with your umbrellas saying, I bring you peace in our time. Oh, <laughs> 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 bring you peace in our time. But I guess I come from the background that says that appeasement makes things more dangerous, that by avoiding the immediate today's danger of hysteria, you create a longer term, much greater danger. Okay. Mm. Oh, throw, okay. Throw down. All right. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a throw down. All right. Now, <laughs> I ask you, what is more of a threat to the rule of law in the United States? Uh a Democratic administration saying, you know, with all of the um, pitfalls of a Trump trial, we're going to 
we're going to refrain from prosecuting him. Though in every, and I'll get to this later, because what do mm-hmm. you do about Trump if not criminally prosecute him? So that's a separate, separate right. question. But what is a greater threat to the rule of law and respect for the law in this country? Is it that Garland and company say we're going to pass on a prosecution for mishandling classified documents or whatever else? Or is it that a president is indicted and tried and either gets off or is convicted and elected and elected or nominated by a major party? Which one is a worse uh, threat to respect for law? I I submit to you that the image of Donald Trump flouting law, and he will do everything in his considerable powers to bring the law into disrepute, to to heap scorn upon the entire judicial system, uh, and and his followers, not just his followers, but big portions of the Republican Party will be drawn into that, and it will undermine faith in all of our courts. I don't disagree that this is a real threat. I mean, I, I don't want to dismiss that because it will be intense. I guess it's the moment where we are suffering stage four cancer and we need aggressive chemotherapy and no one should have a Pollyannish view of how it will play out because it will be fraught, which is why I wrote a piece saying that Merrick Garland, if he goes after Trump, should go big. Because don't assume that going small um, is going to generate a lesser of, of, of a reaction. Also, um, okay. you know, if, if you shoot, if you shoot the king, you better get the king because the scenario you do, you lay out is a definitely a bad case scenario. My scenario would be that you uh, that you marshal the kinds of evidence that we're seeing from January 6th committee from these grand juries. You bring compelling, serious charges, not trivial, not technical charges. You bring it in front of a grand jury. You get the indictment. And then you convict him of felonies and that that will be contentious, but it will be the kind of moment that we need to have every once in a while. We need to bring these things to a head. Now, I do appreciate the danger and the downside. I'm just saying there are dangers and downsides on both sides. And therefore, if I have to choose I'm going to choose doing the right thing, upholding the law, upholding the principle, knowing that either choice we make has tremendous dangers and downsides. Okay, fair enough. Um, Let me just point out a couple quick things. One is um, uh, we also have to consider as we're looking into into this chasm that any jury in America is likely to have at least one MAGA member. So bear that in mind. Right. Um, so the possibility of getting a conviction is problematic. Um, and uh, once he is, you know, once he's acquitted, you know, that that has consequences for the respect. I agree. Of the rule of law. Absolutely. Okay. No, no, okay. that's, that's the downside. I just don't okay. think that. And, I, and yeah. that's not the end. That's not the end. Okay. It's not as if we only have these two ways of, you know, handling this challenge that is prosecute or not prosecute. That's not the only, those are not the only weapons. We, as the January 6th committee has shown, um, we can appeal to the great jury, which is the American people, about the nature of Trump and the threat. 
and we can attempt to persuade enough Americans that he's unfit for office to prevent the worst outcome, that will not also be giving him an opportunity to, to, to play into this whole persecution business and grievance and they're coming after me and, and all of that. He's going to do that anyway. I see. He, yeah, this is what I think is, is somewhat naive. I, I think there's, there's a certain naivety here. Because if in fact, oh, wait, oh, so did, I'm a naive Chamberlain appeaser now. <laughs> I did not say Chamberlain. <laughs> oh, I didn't actually. Umbrella. Yeah, the umbrella. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess the 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 the, yeah. pro- the the problem is that that I think that there is something very dangerous in giving into the intimidation is to allowing there us is. to be intimidated because what it does is that doesn't lower the temperature; it emboldens these people, and so. To step back and say, let's go to the jury and tell you how terrible this guy is. At the same time, you're saying, yes, but we are not going to actually charge him with anything. Because you know the MAGA world, first of all, Donald Trump will play the victim card anyway. Then what they will do is say, see, there was this witch hunt that came up with nothing. You were never able to pin anything on me. Donald Trump will stand there and he will say, they brought the full weight of the Department of Justice. They raided my house. They had federal grand juries. You had this kangaroo court in the committee. And you know what they came up with in the end? Nothing. If they had something, they would have done it. They had nothing. And now they're trying to say all these things, but they don't dare give me my day in court. And he will play it and it will be and it will inflame them. It will also embolden those forces who have been undermining the rule of law and regarding this as a regime to think, you know what? No one dares stand against us. And once they feel no one dares stand against us, do you think it ends now here with this guy? I would present to you the contrasting images. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree that, that um, these people have been emboldened and, uh, and the, you know that that there is a danger on on that side as well. There is the risk of um, of imp- the impunity. You know of letting letting them get away with it and and having them conclude that intimidation works. It's really, 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 really bad. But I didn't say we had good options. Right. There are no good options. No, there aren't any good ones. It's um, right and but wrong. I would I would say that that, that I'm struck by the contrast. Um, between the world of, let us say, uh, July 15th, where, um, you know, the, the January 6th committee's work was eroding Trump's standing. And uh, he was obviously still in the picture, but there was a, a lot of talk about moving on from him. And uh, the people were beginning to imagine a world where it was, um, you know, where, where, his, where his chances of being the nominee were dramatically reduced, the, the 2024 nominee. And the world after August 8th or wherever it was that they did the raid, that caused, that did cause a huge snapback into mm, Trump okay. being the, the guy. It did. See, this is this is where I think everybody needs to take a deep breath and go, yes, that's, that, that's true. There, there was a snapback, but give it some time. Don't make a fundamental historic constitutional decision based on polls, but in the last two weeks, because things change. And I do think there is this accumulation. Also, we don't know what they have. It's a lot of depends on this, because I think those numbers become very different 
if it turns out that's that what they have is more serious than I think. Like what? Think, well, the nuclear stuff. We, we just don't yeah. know what's what's there. But also, I think this is where we need to keep our eyes on the horizon as opposed to being distracted by last week's polls. Because what we do now will reverberate for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And I, I'm willing to concede that you may be right, that the, the divisions will get much greater. But also, 50 years from now, when you have a post-constitutional authoritarian president who clearly and blatantly and flagrantly violates the law, we have established the, the precedent that if you have a, you know, if, if, if you are the president, you cannot be uh, charged while you are the president. No party is going to allow you to be impeached while you're president. And then post-presidency, yeah, nothing there as, as well. So I, yeah, get, well, I would I would not be as distracted by the ephemera of of what's happening in the news cycles in the middle of August as opposed to what is really at stake. Okay. So rather than a authoritarian president 40 or 50 years from now, I would say that the possibility exists that if you give Trump this platform, this opportunity to play the victim and to be the persecuted victim of the big, you know, the deep state and the evil Democrats who are trying to destroy America and are, are doing that by coming after him, you'll have that not in 50 years, but in two or three. You're going uh, to have in, it in anyway. This is my, you're going to have it anyway. It's either Donald Trump claiming he was a victim and exonerated which he will claim that he is exon. He will take the decision not to charge him as pure exoneration. Look what he did with the Mueller report. Robert Mueller made a similar calculation. Okay, we're going to come up with this big report of all the terrible things he did. We're going to appeal to the jury of the American people, but we're not actually going to charge him. What was the headline throughout the right? Exoneration, which then proves it was a witch hunt. That is exactly what he will do. Um, you know, two, three, four years from now. It's going to happen no matter whether but Charlie, they they've already there crossed been, the Rubicon. They've yeah, already, but see, if they're, uh, no, but here's the thing. Every step that is taken that is unsuccessful strengthens him. So do you think a prosecution would be successful? If not, you're guaranteeing that it will strengthen him. Well, that, yes. I mean, obviously, that's why I say if you're going to go, make sure you get it right, because if you shoot. But then again, once you've raided his home, I mean, it's a, it's a search warrant, completely legitimate. You make sure that you know what you're doing. And that's obviously a predicate. If they if they bring flimsy charges or trivial charges, uh, if they charges that won't hold up under under appeal, obviously, that is a huge downside. But this is the decision that any time you make when you're, and I'm sorry to use the war analogy because that's dangerous, but you know that when you are going to enter into this, you better make sure that you have the ability and the resources to go to war and to win that, because otherwise it will be a disaster. On the other hand, there so is always don't there's always that calculation though. There's always the council of appeasement, which is yeah. if we do this, it's no, you dangerous. Made that point. Well, I'm going to make it again, because <laughs> if you go to war, bad things are going to happen. It is very, very dangerous. But the failure to do so can be even worse. So, yes, you bring those charges and the shit comes down on you. There's no question about you. I'm saying it's coming down anyway. 
And so you so might you as well. Th- okay. Yeah. okay. Okay. So you think it is no more likely that, you know, Mrs. Tompkins, who is a Republican, she's not particularly Trumpy, um, but she voted for Trump twice because she's a Republican and, you know, and she watches Fox and so forth. And that's her world. And, um, you know, she, you think it is no more likely that Mrs. Tompkins becomes radicalized and becomes furious and so forth um, because of a trial than without a trial. Mrs. Tompkins has already been radicalized. Look around you. Look what's happened. So the question is whether this radical extremism then becomes the argument for us to stand down. No. I don't know what it takes to break the fever. Maybe nothing at all. Now, I did say last week, in answer to a question, would the Republican Party actually nominate somebody who was indicted for violating the Espionage Act? And I said, yeah, they would, because there's that rally around your point that that, that in fact, there is that snap back. However, a, a former president who is indicted and convicted of a felony um, may get the Republican nomination, question mark, but I don't think is electable. On the other hand, a president whose home has been raided, who feels he's been exonerated, I think is much stronger electorally. And to back to your first point, that the greatest short-term danger is Donald Trump getting back in the White House and having stared down the Department of Justice. I think, I think that he not only will go to the Republican electorate and say, see, I am a victim, you are a victim, but I am so strong and I am so innocent that nothing has happened to me. Now let's go clean out this, this you, know, you know, bed of vermin. I think mm. that, that that is more likely, especially if he's not indicted, there is still a part of America that will think that if you're underindicted or you've been convicted of a felony, that that is a bad thing on your resume for being commander in chief. That's just me, maybe. But I think there's a portion of the electorate that would probably be decisive that would see that as a net negative. Mm, probably is the word here. And uh, if it's not true and and it's a, it's there are so many unknowns about what could unfold in the course of a trial that would dominate who knows how long of our national life, putting Trump front and center and giving him that platform um, that uh that probably is a little too iffy for my comfort. I'm, you know, and I'm also thinking, okay, let us say, let's, let's look at the, the, the Florida situation. Okay. So he, um, took classified documents to Florida. We know this. Um, and, uh, and the, um, so would the trial take place in Florida? Uh, again, MAGA jurors, very, very possible down there. Uh, this is not going to be a DC jury. Um, so that's one thing to think about. Another is I follow Maggie Haberman closely in terms of, you know, evaluating Trump's behavior, which is always difficult, but I think she usually has a good bead on it. And, um, yep. And so, you know, she talked about why he would have taken these things and, you know, the worst possible scenario that we can imagine, the kinds of things that I think you're, you were referring to when you said, well, we'll see how bad it is would be, okay, he took the classified nuclear secrets or whatever. Let's say they are uh, a, a, a classified, highly classified CIA evaluation of Iran's nuclear capabilities. And he took that because he thought, eh, I'll just sell it. 
to the Saudis, you know, several billion dollars. Okay. That would be really, really bad. bad. You know, I just can't imagine that that's really what we're dealing with. I think, I know people are going to, they're going to scream at me. Oh, can't imagine it. You know, you're so naive. Now I just, I think it's much more likely that he took stuff because he thought it was his and because he is in, he, he has, he's incapable of, uh, of abiding by rules and norms. And he said, you know, these, these are my, you know, papers. I want them. And that's nine, that. Nine. Okay. Nine, nine, nine. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I, like I, I, think you're, I think you're, I think you're probably right. But since you floated a hypothetical, Let's imagine that it was that hypothetical. It was the Iran nuclear secrets that he was going to sell to the Saudis, just for the sake of argument. Yeah. Is your position the same about it is. Or letting my him position go? is you would let him you go. Let, you let the American people know in no uncertain terms that this happened. Maybe you hold hearings. Maybe you, I don't know. You know, Liz Cheney needs to get her group together and uh, get out there and but tell the world off, that but that you would happened. Let him, but you would let him off the hook in that case. I would not have a trial. That is correct. I would not have a trial. I think a trial is too risky, risky that he wouldn't get convicted and then he'd be stronger and risky that he'd be able to use it to his advantage. I know you're not supposed to ever refer to Hitler, but Hitler uh, was able at his trial to become a, a cause celeb, whereas, you know, if he had been left alone after the beer, beer hall per, putsch, he would have been a minor figure like many others who attempted, uh, who attempted to, um, I am not going to uh, pursue to this line of right now. I, I am not, but, but he became a huge figure because he was able to use his trial as a platform. Okay. So, I, <laughs> so I, you, I, I, I see your umbrella man, and I raise I'm, you. I'm no, no, no. A, I'm, I'm, I am going to await <laughs> the revisionist history. Why they should have let Hitler off the hook in 1923. <laughs> I'm going to wait for that because I don't want to. I don't want to preempt. Oh that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I am not denying that there is huge risk, but I guess I would say. Everything, look, life is full of risks. The world is a risky place. We are in an intensely risky era. The argument against risk, I think, you know, ignores the fact that there are, I I think we're now becoming circular here, but but that that there are risks um, with any possible choice. And I think this is this is the danger, is the I, I guess I'm really bothered by the sense that we should be fearful and give in to intimidation and I anxiety. I uh, oh, the worst forces in America are staring us down. This is not the moment to blink. I know. I share that. I know you do. Emotionally, <laughs> emotionally, I do. But the other part of my brain is saying, yeah, but don't go with your emotions here. Try to think through how this will look. Uh, how it will play out, how it will be perceived by half the country, and whether that makes us less stable. Well, let me make your case strong. I mean, I actually think, and this bolsters your point, but I have a point to, you know, uh, to follow up with, is that I think that the two failed impeachment efforts emboldened Trump, uh, both of them, made him stronger in many ways. Uh, than he was before. And, and but it convinced him that he could get away with anything. I mean, very clearly was as, as soon as he was, he was, uh, you know, uh, a, after the, the Mueller report, uh, you know, fell flat on its face. Uh, that's when he picked up the phone call right to, uh, to yep. Ukraine. And so the failed efforts do strengthen him. 
But the counterpoint is that's why you can't fail. You know, had, for example, the second impeachment resulted in 17 Republicans saying, yeah, this guy should never be president again, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So again, if you shoot at the king, you get the king. If you're going to try to take Vienna, you take Vienna. Um, and, and that may be the only answer to this guy. Uh, but I, I just cannot bear the thought of Donald Trump claiming exoneration by the deep state because the venge the vengeful tour. And you know, did you read Rich Lowry's piece in the New York? I did. Where I he's did. Going through, you know, all of the whataboutism and you know, yep. oh, nice country you got there, guys. It would be a shame yeah. if you know we you you broke it. And you know, Republicans might turn around and they might indict Hunter Biden. Does anybody think that they're not going to do that anyway? Yeah. So no, and that, there were many, many, many flaws with the rich, with the rich Lowry piece. But let let me just close with this this, this thought. I do not want to be perceived as saying we should let him off. We should uh, we should you know you know turn a blind eye to his to his wickedness, which it really is. That's literally uh, your headline: letting Trump off. Well, that wasn't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I am trying to say, let's not focus exclusively on a jury trial, on a prosecution to rest the fate of our country on. Let's instead, with the leadership of people like Kinzinger and Cheney and other Republicans, maybe, you know, actually there aren't any, but okay, let's let's use their leadership um, to take the case to the American people relentlessly, forcefully, that this guy can never be president that's where our energies have to be placed, not in the vagaries of the justice system. And I would just observe that Trump has been a master of getting out of a million legal scrapes with delay and lawyering and lots of other things. I mean, the justice system is a very creaky, flawed instrument. Um, so let's not forget that either. And yet it's central. Yes. Oh, it and is essential. Of course it is. But the, is the other op option here is a political effort, not a legal one. I do not think they are mutually exclusive. And the law, of course, has an important role to play, including in educating the public. The law can teach as well as enforce. So I think in our constitutional order, the legal system is a crucial leg of the stool of our of our democracy. And I would love to believe that you simply, you know, make speeches and put out press releases and take out ads and that will preserve democracy. But that's not the way the system was set up. And I, I hope that we can do both those things. But I agree with you um, to try and fail um, would be disastrous, which is why if you try, you must succeed. And, um, and, and I do think that would be painful. It would be costly. It would be divisive, but it would be worth it. Uh, but we, but you can't guarantee it. No, I, you know, we can't guarantee anything except death and taxes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so you could do all that and yeah, still yeah. get a MAGA juror and your, yeah. all your great plans for vindicating the rule of law would be, would go into a cocked hat. Don't let fear rule us. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh gosh! All so right, this this was intense, Mona. Yeah, you know? I'm tired. No, this, was, <laughs> this this was intense, and Mona okay. will never speak to me again. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thought, hey, you know what? The good news is this is the secret podcast. It's just between you and me. <laughs> okay. okay, very good. All right, all right, Charlie. Talk to you soon. Bye.
Bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.